As you know, the last few weeks we've been looking uh, at a series called The Big Story. And today I want to share with you how we can reach out to others through the big story of generosity. Did any of you catch any of the um, Children in Need program on Friday evening? Big thing that happens every year. It, it seems to just go on for weeks and weeks, doesn't it? Um, I caught about 10 minutes of the program on Friday. And in that short space of time, I was very surprised at how many times I heard this phrase. Thank you so much for your very generous gift of £5, £10, whatever the amount was. It was repeated over and over and over again. And then they showed this little video clip of a well-known British depart, uh, furniture store. sorry, And the furniture store wanted to get involved in children in need and see how they could raise money for the charity. And so they came up with a novel idea. And what they did was everybody who went into the store during that period of time bought furniture, they were given the opportunity to win back the cost of the furniture that they bought if they donated £5 to children in need. I thought, well, I've not seen that one before. But it really struck me because I realised just how much of a misconception it is that generosity is all about an action and it's connected to a specific amount of money. Because generosity, as we see expressed through God and his word, is not that at all. It's not about an action, but it's about something that we are. It's a reflection of our character through God. And to be more specific, it's about a heart attitude, establishing a healthy, godly perspective about our relationship to resources. It comes from us really understanding the true position that we hold as stewards of God's resources and that he is the owner of everything. Now, a gift in itself, whether that's a five-pound gift, whether that's a million-pound gift, is not generous. The money itself is not generous. It is the person who is giving that gift that has the ability to have a generous heart and express generosity. And we see this perfectly illustrated for us in the story of the widow and her mite. So picture it. We've just had an offering period in our session this morning. So Jesus is standing at the temple and he's looking on. And he calls his disciples over and he says, come here, look at this. And the Pharisees were doing what the Pharisees do best, showing off. So, you know, we've got our offering buckets that we pass around. And I can just imagine them now, you know, they've... They've got very noisy offerings because they didn't have checkbooks and credit cards and things like that in that day. So they'd have these big bags of coins that they would noisily tip into the buckets. Everybody knew that the Pharisees were giving. Look at what I'm doing. Look how good I am. How obedient I'm being. I'm a good Christian. I'm doing what I should. And then Jesus brings the disciples' attention to a widow. He says, look at this lady. Quietly, discreetly, not making a song and dance about it, not trying to get anybody's attention, she carefully places two small coins into the offering bucket. And Jesus says, this woman has given more than anybody. 
Now we know that two small coins are not worth more than bags of coins. So what was it that Jesus was referring to? It was not about the amount that she gave, but rather it was the way that she gave, the heart attitude behind what she did. Because just as we heard in Will's testimony earlier, he gave what was left in his pocket. He had nothing else. And that would have taken an incredible amount of trust and faith in God to know that he's the one that is our provider. Our security doesn't come from what's in our pocket or in our wallet, but that God is in control and that God understands what we're going through. And for the widow to do that took an incredible amount of faith and trust in God. Something that if I, if I was to ask this question in any church, do we believe that God is creator? We'd all go, yes, we do. Of course he is. Do we believe he created us and that he's in control, that He is Lord of all, King of kings, and owns everything? Yes, we do. But all too often there is a disconnect between what we know in our heads and what we practice through our hearts, that we sometimes act as though we're the ones that are in control, that everything that we have is ours. Generosity is an attitude that God wants us to develop. In 2 Corinthians 8, verses 7 and 8, it says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. Excelling in excellence is something God wants for all of us. It's not just for a unique group of people. And the sincerity of our love will determine the extent to how it develops. So in looking at how generosity develops, there are a few points that I want to mention this morning that I think are crucial to this being um, possible to work out. The first one is this, that we really do have to settle this issue of stewardship and ownership. Understanding that we are God's. He created us and everything that I have, everything that I am, the breath in my body, the time that I have in a day, the abilities and resources that God has put into my hands to use are from him and belong to him. He bought us with a price, an incredible price, and we belong to him and we must honor him. And he has never at any point relinquished ownership of his resources not once the second thing is that generosity is always motivated from a place of love john 3:16 just think for a moment god loved each one of you so so much knowing full well that we mess up we get things wrong we don't always do what we should do but it didn't change his love for us. So much so that even knowing the things that we may do in the future, he still allowed his son to suffer so much so that we could spend eternity with him. He loves you and has shown his generosity in an incredible way to us. God just, it isn't that God just shows love, God is love. 
And love gives. It's just what love does. God loves you. He is love. And he gives. It's not conditional either. Not expecting anything in return. Unlike those donations, unfortunately, that I mentioned earlier. How many of those donations would have actually happened if there wasn't that incentive to win some money back? That's not what generosity is in God's kingdom and must never be our motivation. Matthew 6 verse 1 tells us to watch out. Don't do your goods in public, your, your good deeds in public, so that you get admired by people. Now, I want to say this. It is okay to do good deeds in public. Jesus was watching what was going on. But are we doing good deeds in public so that we get recognition from people or are we doing it out of a sense of worship and commitment and honor to God? So he wants us to live that out. He wants us to follow his example. He's dwelling in us. His love is in us. And that love is to be demonstrated through us. And then my next point is this, that God wants us to reach out to help the poor. That we can love our neighbors as we love ourselves. That we can reach out to the lost, which is our great commission. So many verses that we could have picked on here, but I'm just going to quickly read a few for you. Deuteronomy 15.10 says, Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything that you do. Leviticus 19.9 and 10, When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of the field, and don't pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. Proverbs 19.17, If you help the poor... You lend to the Lord, and he will repay you. Luke fourteen twelve to 14. When you put on a banquet, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. But instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for, those, for inviting those who could not repay you. It's very clear that our motivation is not to be to get something in return, that it's coming from a place of love. I want to take a look at two churches in the New Testament now. And one of those churches was in Acts chapter 2. And it says from verse 44, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes. They ate meals together. They had glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Just imagine that for a moment as an outsider to this group. What would that have looked like? Here we have a group of people, a church that love God and a serving God. They've understood that their role is as a steward of God's resources, that they're not holding on tightly to the possessions that God has entrusted to them, so much so that they can look at each other and say, hey, there's a need over there, we need to just meet that need, knowing full well that if I'm in that position, somebody's going to do that for me too. And somebody looking in is going to say, that makes no sense, why would you do that? What would possibly motivate you to do that? Not only did it attract them to the church, 
But it resulted in God adding many, many people to the church through salvation. Our mentality and attitude of generosity express the way that God wants us to is an evangelistic tool that reaches many souls. In contrast, the second church that I want to mention is in Revelation 3. And this is the church of Laodicea. And it says this from verse 14. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold, and I wish you were either one or the other. And so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out. Which church ever wants to hear that said of them? And for a long time, I didn't make the connection as to why they were lukewarm. What was it that they did that caused them to be lukewarm? And it's right here in the verse that follows. This is what they said about themselves. We are rich. We've acquired wealth. And we don't need anything. Because all our security is right here in our possessions. Somewhere along the line, this church had been blessed by God with resources. And they'd taken their focus off God, who was their provider, their blesser, the the source of that provision. And now all that they could think about was the security that the wealth and the riches that they had accumulated gave them. You see, money has the ability to draw us close to God And it also has the ability to take us further away from God if we let it. And I really believe that this attitude and generosity mindset is a gift that God gives us. He gives it to us, one, so that we can outwork and do the things that he wants. But secondly, because it protects our hearts from selfishness, from greed, from all the trappings that materials can give us if we let them. It's a protection for us as well as something that we can serve and give out to others. Jesus talked about who are you serving, God or mammon? And mammon wasn't about physical coins or currency. He was talking about the spiritual God over materialism. Because mammon is alive and well and thriving today in every part of the world, fighting for our attention, wanting us to listen to its voice louder than the voice of God. Who are we serving? Because a servant does what a master tells it to do. Are we doing what God asks us to do? Or are we choosing to serve and do the requests of somebody else? Another thing that we hear often in church is... This phrase of, I want to hear God say over me, well done, good and faithful servant. But we need to really understand the context that that was given in. So in the parable of the talents, the master, before going on his journey, goes to the three servants and says, here you are, here's some of my money for you to look after. And they all had different amounts because they all had different abilities. He went on his journey And the first two servants knew exactly what was important to their master. They knew what his business was about. He knew what would make him happy and what was important. And they set to work and they increased what they'd been given. The master returns 
And he says to all three servants, what did you do with my money? The first two were able to say, Master, we know what's important to you. And so we set about to take your resources and increase it for your kingdom. The third servant, we know, buried his talent because he was so frightened that he would lose it. He didn't know what to do. And he ended up losing that because God took it away and gave it to the first servant. I don't think he understood his role as a steward. Because his first mistake was to think that it was his. And that he had to keep it at all costs and not lose it. And God's looking for us to be faithful with his resources. What did you do with what I entrusted to you? Did you use it for me? He wants us to extend his kingdom and not our own. So there's a few things that I want to mention that happen spiritually when we start to practice generosity and allow that to develop. The first thing is that we gain eternal rewards. Matthew six nineteen and 20 tells us to not store up treasure for yourself here on earth, but instead to store up treasure in heaven, because in heaven... We won't lose it, it won't be destroyed, nobody can steal it, it's eternal. So our focus is not to be here on the temporary, but to be on the eternal in heaven. Our time is so short here, we get so distracted here. God doesn't want our hearts caught up in what we can have here. If you want to compare it a little bit like a hotel and a home, the home is where you spend all your days. That's where you live out your life. That's where your heart is. That's where your family is. That's where you have the characteristics of you represented in that home. For a hotel room, if you stay there for a couple of nights on a trip or something, it's just four walls, isn't it? You haven't decorated it. It doesn't reflect you and your personality and your character. It's just somewhere that you're just passing through. And that's how God wants us to see our life here on earth. The ancient Egyptians are well known for the elaborate tombs that they buried people in. And they believed fervently in an afterlife, so much so that they would bury all of their treasures, their gold, their money, anything of value to them that they thought they could take with them to the afterlife. But they got it wrong. You may have heard this phrase before. He who dies with the most toys still dies. We don't get to take that with us, no matter what we accumulate, no matter how God blesses us even. Because please don't don't hear me say that blessing is wrong or that having things is wrong. I'm not saying that. But we can't take any of that with us. 1 Timothy 6 tells us we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Don't let that become the focus of your attention and be the example of the church in Laodicea where their their focus and attention shifted from God and all they could see and think about was what they had. So he's looking for that faithfulness that we show through the, the resources he entrusts to us. He's watching what we do. He wants to see how our attitudes develop. And his intention is to reward us. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 tells us that we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve 
for the good or the evil that we have done in this earthly body. Romans 14, 10 to 12, tells us that we will stand before God and give a personal account of what we have done. God is a rewarder. He blesses us. I was once asked in church by somebody who's very new, that only recently become a Christian and had not grown up around church language or, you know, they didn't understand what we meant when we said, let's give to God. Well, how do I do that? I don't understand how do I physically give my offering to God and how do I store up treasure in heaven? You know, every single time that we meet a need of somebody, every time we show compassion, when we reach out to somebody who's hungry, when we persevere under pressure, when we trust God in really difficult circumstances, we're saying our focus is not here on earth, but our focus is in heaven. And every time we do that, We're storing treasure. The second thing that happens spiritually is that both the giver and the receiver experience change. Often we only think of it in terms of the recipient has been blessed, they may have had a need met, and we forget that it has a huge impact on the giver too. So we can sometimes see it as this horizontal transaction that is purely financial, Here I am as the giver, and here's that person as the recipient. And the danger with seeing it like that is that we completely miss what's happening spiritually behind the scenes. You see, when we've established God is in control, that everything that we have is given to us by him, is really only on loan by him, that we're managing that, our first response in any gift that we do is first and foremost to God. And it becomes a vertical spiritual transaction that deepens our relationship with him. That's an opportunity for us to say, God, I'm acknowledging that you are my God. I'm acknowledging that you're in control, that you are more important to me than anything. So it deepens our spiritual relationship and brings about maturity in our relationship with him and growth. But then we have another spiritual transaction that takes place. And this time it's between God at the top and the recipient. And we need to really understand that it's not us that meets the need of the recipient. Because God meets the need of the recipient with his resources via a faithful, obedient steward. Because I don't have anything that belongs to me with which I can meet a need. Any need that is met through me is with God's resources. So we have our vertical spiritual transaction, another one coming down to the recipient. Don't ever just see it as a financial transaction. And then the third thing that happens is that our hearts follow our treasure. Matthew six twenty one. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So many times this is quoted the other way around. Where your heart is, your treasure will be. But that's not what God says. He wants our hearts more than anything. More than anything. And he knows that there is a very real connection between our hearts and what we consider to be our treasure. And as I've already said... The spirit of mammon and materialism is fighting for your attention. 
You are bombarded every day with messages and adverts telling you, do this, do this, do this. Don't be happy with what you have. You need more. Don't be content with what you have. You need more. And it's the complete opposite of what God says to us. If we choose to invest in God's kingdom, our hearts will be in God's kingdom because God tells us that our heart will follow wherever our treasure goes. Whatever we choose to prioritize with treasure is what will become a priority in our hearts. And we can't wait until we feel like doing it either because, again, God says your heart will catch up. Your heart won't be there first. You have to actively do something first for your heart to follow suit and catch up. You can act your way into a feeling, but you can't feel your way into an action. And finally, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, I'm not going to read it, but I want you to go home and read it, so I'm setting you homework. That might be a first in a message on a Sunday. But please do go ahead and read it because there are some really important points that are made in those two chapters that outline the purpose of generosity, the effect that generosity has on the people that are on the receiving end of that, on us as givers. And so I just want to list those out for you. Firstly, generosity is not related to income and wealth, like we saw with the widow's mite. It wasn't about the value of her two coins. It was about the incredible generosity of her heart to move her to do everything for God, to be sold out completely to him. Generosity is never forced. It shouldn't be that somebody makes you do it. It should be your relationship with God and your love for God that is working itself out that causes generosity to happen. It cannot be contained. And that's certainly something that I have learned and seen at work in my own life. As I've purposed to walk in this and develop this, that sometimes I feel so much like I'm going to burst with it that I have to keep doing this because it's a godly character that's working its way through me. It's evidence, uh, sorry, it's always a focus to God first. Remember that vertical spiritual transaction before anything, horizontal. And it's evidence of our love for God. The more we love God, the more we want to serve him, the more we want to be like him and exhibit his characteristics. Generous people meet needs. And generosity brings honor to the Lord. Generosity is expressed cheerfully and it is personal between us and God. Don't be impulsive with your generosity. We have to remember that what we have still belongs to God. And when something belongs to somebody else, you involve them in the decisions. That you say, God, how do you want me to use your resources. Don't just throw it around. Don't just say, right, I'm giving everything to God. Did God ask you to do that? Involve him in that process. God provides the gift for the generous to give. And again, if we accept that we don't have anything, 
God has to provide the gift. And the more faithfulness that we show in the way that we use his resources, the more he is going to pour in the gift for us to pour back out. And when we express generosity, it moves others closer to God. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. But I want to share with you a personal story that really um, exhibits a lot of these things that we see in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Several years ago, I, I had been challenged by God about my understanding of generosity and what I wanted to do. And I had purposed, I'm going to do this, God. I want to serve you in this area. I believe that it's what you want for all of us, and I'm serious about this. So I knew that there would come a time, or several times, where God would speak to me and say, okay, here's an opportunity to practice. Will you please do this? And a prayer request came to my attention via a friend. And her family um, were non-Christians. And they were having to deal with a very difficult situation in their family because a member of the family was terminally ill and had very little left, little time left to live. So they were having to deal with what that meant in terms of grief and the emotions of that. But adding to the stress was the fact that they had to somehow find the resources, the finances, to pay for a funeral. And I remember the prayer request being, God, we need you to step in. We need you to do something here to help this family. They were looking at payday loans and all sorts of you know, bad options for borrowing money that would have crippled them going forward. And my immediate response was one of compassion and that is just awful. I can't imagine how they must be feeling right now. And then I remember saying to myself, if that was my family going through that situation, I know that I could step in and help because along this journey that I've been walking with God, I've made sure that I have resources put aside to cover things like emergencies, to be able to be there to practice generosity. And it wouldn't be an issue. It wouldn't be a stress point. And God said to me, well, sort it out then. Don't just have compassion. Do something about it. Give them what they need to have a funeral. And that was a little bit of a shock to me because it was a big thing to do. And... I was thinking about it and praying about it through the course of the day. And I went home and I said to Danny, my husband, Danny, I need to talk to you about something. Um, I feel that God has spoken to me and has asked me to do something. And his response to me was, first words, no joke. Okay, how much this time? Because we had set out on a journey to do this, to practice this. And so he's used to me hearing from God and equating that to an amount of money that we are going to give away because that's what we've purposed to do. And so we wrote a check. And I spoke to my friend who was travelling down at the time to see her family and be with them and explained to her what God had told me to do. And as you can imagine, she was shocked. She started crying, I started crying. She came, I can't accept it. 
I just can't. Why would you even do that? It makes no sense. No, you, you can't. And I said, well, you must accept it. And if I can only give you one reason, it would be that, first of all, God has told me to do this. And that's reason enough. But secondly, I cannot shake this burden that God has put on me that one day I may get to meet two people in heaven who come up to me and say, we're here because of you. I've not met them. I don't even know their names to this day. I don't know if they've made a commitment for Christ. But all I know is that God told me to meet a need and show his love to somebody that desperately needed him. I later found out that they went to their individual jobs evangelizing as non-Christians telling their workplace and their workmates what God had given them and what God had done for them. Because expressed generosity brings people closer to God. The joy that I felt, that, sorry, the tears that I felt were tears of joy. And that took me by surprise because it doesn't make sense to be happy about parting with summer money. But I suddenly realized what it meant to be a cheerful giver because my heart had caught up with my treasure. As I began to practice and put my treasure into things of God and the things that He wanted me to do, my heart was there also. I just want to put this now in a context closer to home for you to relate to. So in the last few months, we've had a focus on generosity and we're going to continue that into December with our giveaway. So in October, we had Harvest Festival, didn't we? And the front steps here of the platform were filled with bags of food that was around two and a half tons. An incredible donation from all of you the people who receive that food come into our building maybe into church for the very first time and see what church is like they get people sitting with them saying how can I help you, can I pray for you maybe even introduce you to Jesus that there are a church of people here who care about you and have provided all this for you And we may never know who comes to accept Christ because of that. But when you do that, you impact eternity for them and you impact eternity for you. Two weeks ago, we had shoeboxes everywhere. And like you saw on the video, it was an incredible expression of love to children who may never have a present ever in their life. And when we delivered those parcels, they asked me, how many parcels are here? And it was approximately 250. And they said, well, those 250 parcels will go into the hands of 250 children. And on average, what happens is 50 out of that 250 will accept Christ. And then because of our discipleship program with those 50 children, their families will now accept Christ too. And you've done that. You've impacted their lives and they can share in eternity because of your expression 
an attitude of generosity. And that is the big story of generosity. That we reach out to the needy, we show God's love, and we reach the lost. Let's stand. into one last song of worship and I want you to take a moment and ask God to speak to your heart if he hasn't already and maybe today the only thing that you need to do is to say God I need to get this straight that my relationship with you is a steward of your resources and I'm willing and waiting for you to direct me that I don't want to hold on so tightly that I can't be of any use for you. But allow God to minister to you. Allow him to speak to you. I think there are people in the room today that God has already been speaking to and preparing. And there may have been something that I said today that was just confirmation that you needed to hear. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond to that. If you want us to pray with you, we will gladly do that feel free to come forward during this worship song and make that response and declaration to God of who he is and if you want to take communion too we will make the communion table available to you but let's just worship him and honour him and put him first in our lives this morning